Well, good morning to uh, those of you over in the worship center who have joined us now via a contemporary service there, and we're glad to join together for uh, what is really just a, a short sermon series on our vision, on renewing our vision. And so last week, we took apart the very first section of our mission statement, which is this, Taylor's exist to make disciples as we encounter God equip believers, and engage the world. So last week we looked at what does it mean to have a culture of gathering as a people of God to encounter God through Christ weekly. What does that mean for our vision? What does that mean for our hearts as we see Christ in all of his suffering, all of his glory, all of his grace and mercy and forgiveness, all of his commands to us? What does it look like for us to sit underneath Jesus and to hear from him and respond to him. That's the kind of culture we want every single week as you gather, and I hope that's been the case so far to this point. So this week we come to equipping believers, and we're going to unpack what does that mean to equip believers, and we're going to talk about what does it mean for a shift here at Taylor's in making disciples. What does that look like? Equipping believers. I I saw a perfect example of this this past week of what it means to equip people. And that was down in our rec center. And this past week, uh, Daryl and his team uh, so ably hosted for the fourth time. This is the fourth year in a row that we have hosted an organization called I Can Bike. You might have seen this on uh, one of our news channels. You might have seen this in the the Greenville News. It's on the front page uh, one day this week. It's this incredible organization that's a national organization, but what they do is the leadership comes in and it goes to uh, local cities. Greenville is the only city, believe it or not, Greenville is the only city that they go to in the state of South Carolina, which surprised me. And they go into local cities and they find partners. They find people. They find churches like ours and Grace Church, and they find uh, a, a primary partner like the Greenville YMCA right here at the end of, right at the end of uh, Taylor's Road right down here, the East Side Y. And through the Y and through these churches and through camps that, that bring kids, here's what Ike and Bike does. They bring in kids with special needs like autism and Down syndrome and kids who have, have special needs that have, have limited their ability to ride a bike. They've never ridden a bike before. And these kids come in, and I caught this, the tail end of one session and, and the beginning of another session. It was incredible to see. And, 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 and here's what you had. You had these volunteers who were waiting for these kids when, the new, when the, the new kids came in. Some of them were driven by their parents. Some of them came from a camp off a bus, and they come walking in. And, and these volunteers are there to engage and to meet with them. And they, they have these bikes obviously never having ridden a bike before, you remember what it might have been like as a, as a little boy or a little girl. First time you get on a bike, you got those training wheels on there. Well, they didn't have training wheels on. What they had, these kids had on a special, uh, it looked like a, a rubber rolling pin on the back of the, of the bike. And, and that was to help keep them stable. And then coming out of the seat was, was a handle. And so that when these kids would get on, there was a little stability, but yet these people would would hold the handles and they'd, they'd make sure that they were stable and they would run and they would walk. 
every day, Monday through Friday, for I think an hour or so session. And it seemed like they ran a marathon after one day. I can't imagine what they felt like after a week. But they're just running around the gym. <laughs> they're just walking with these people, and they're holding the handles, and they're holding them up, and they're walking around with them. I, I love this one guy. I loved his job. I asked him if I could take a picture of his little workstation. He had set up a workstation there in the gym. And it was all of his tools, and here's what he did. He took the bikes, and he made the necessary adjustments to the equipment. So if they needed to take the, take the back wheel off or if they needed to take the, take the, uh, the, the bar that, that stuck out of the leg, if you needed to adjust that or whatever they need to do, depending on the size, depending upon the need, depending upon whatever it might be, here was a guy whose, whose job was to equip these kids and to help these volunteers help these kids do something that they had never, ever done before. By Wednesday, when I was there on Wednesday, the end of the, the session that I was in, some of those kids were starting to ride already. And just the smiles and just the joy of being able to do something they've never done before. Because people took what they had and invested and engaged in the life of people. Oh, there was encouragement. Oh, you, you can bet there was encouragement. As these volunteers would come and they would cheer these, these folks on and the people on the, on the side would clap and they would cheer. There was all kinds of encouragement, but I love the accountability factor as well. Daryl told me a story as we were sitting there watching. He told me a story about how uh, they got in the parking lot later on in the week. And you can only imagine, here's my first thought, what if they fall, right? And he says, sure enough, sure enough, he says, here's what they do. These coaches, these volunteers are amazing because they, they, they keep them moving. They keep them moving towards the goal. They keep them, they keep them accountable. They, they keep challenging them and moving towards the goal. He said there was one day when one of these kids, he uh, fell and he got bloodied up a little bit. And as probably you and I would do when we were little and we fell, we get bloodied up, you start yelling, I want my mommy, <laughs> right? I want my mommy, I'm hurt, I might want my mommy. And, and the coach just gently just says, um, no, no, um, you need to get back on the bike because we're going to learn. You're okay, I got you, you're okay. <laughs> and, and so he, he changed his tune a little bit. No longer did he want his mommy. He began to yell, I want a Band-Aid, <laughs> I need a Band-Aid, I'm bleeding to death. And that coach just keeps him moving, just keeps him moving to the goal where he finally settles in, he finally settles down, and he accomplishes something that he has never done before because someone was there with him, walking with him. It's a beautiful picture of what we see in the scriptures and what we see in our mission statement when it comes to equipping believers. And what I want to walk you through as we come to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning is simply, I want to walk you through a shift in disciple making, a shift that's, that I, I long to see take place in our, our culture here at Taylor's as we talk about making disciples with a new mission statement. And as we come together on Wednesday nights, let's go ahead, uh, guys, and let's go ahead and put the put the pathway on the screen here. Let's do it up front. Um, what you have here is a pathway in front of you. And beginning on August the 17th, uh, right here in the fellowship hall, I'm inviting everyone to come and I'm going to walk you through what is in essence a vision with a pathway. 
And what we want to do is bring you through for a few Wednesday nights as we all gather together. What does it look like to make disciples who make disciples? And so you see there, uh, the first section there is the congregation. As we talked last week about encountering God together, we do it in the congregation. Today we're going to talk about equipping believers and what does it mean to equip people within a community of of other people. And then next week we'll talk about engaging the world. And so on, on Wednesday nights, August the 17th, we invite you to come. We invite you to be a part of, of me being able to share with you and to, to walk through in more detail than I'm going to be able to do today. What does it mean to make disciples who make disciples here at Taylor's? And under that section there of community, when it comes to equipping believers, we do so through community. We do that so through groups of people like our life groups. And so we're going to see our life groups continue. And we want to see our, our life groups grow. And we want to see our life groups open to more and more people. For some of you who are visiting Taylor's, your next step is to come into a life group and to be a part of a larger group where you can connect under the word of God and you can connect to the fellowship and care of the life group. But for some of you, discipleship groups, which we're going to introduce, we're going to train this fall and introduce Lord willing in January is a time for some of you to be with three men or three to five men or three to five women where you are walking together around the word of God. The word of God will be our textbook. And starting in January of 17, we're going we're gonna to launch however many the Holy Spirit leads us where there are these smaller groups, segregated groups where you are together as men and as women and you're finding that incredible disciple-making growth that can occur as it only can where you're in those smaller groups. And then our Bible studies. Our Bible studies continue, whether you're in men's ministry or women's ministry or in, uh, in our Wednesday nights, whatever it might be, those Bible studies continue. And so we're going to talk more about that on Wednesdays, beginning August 17. I invite you to come as we go into detail about this pathway of what it looks like. And I don't expect you to remember all of that, but I wanted to show you here is what we offer when it comes to equipping believers in community with one another. But what I want to do today is this. I want to leads you in a shift of what it means to make disciples throughout these offerings, throughout, throughout what we want to do in the community, throughout what we want to do in life groups and, and what we want to do in discipleship groups, which will be new, and what we want to do in our Bible studies. And each one of those groups serve different purposes in the disciple-making process, but they all should have an eye towards this shift that I want to bring to you this morning. Three ways in which we want to see disciple-making shift. And we want to begin in Ephesians chapter 4 because I think it's very important to understand what is the standard of equipping believers and what does it mean to equip believers. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to read in verses 11 through 13 this morning. All right, if you have your place, and here's what the Word of God says. You ready? It's on the screen as well. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. He gave them to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
All right, so let's receive some instruction from the Word this morning. Here's what Paul is telling this local gathering, this church at Ephesus. He's saying this. Listen, you have gifted leaders. doesn't mean super spiritually elite. It simply means the Holy Spirit has supplied them with a gift that they use. He lists them out there, and he says, here is their job to equip the saints. That means believers. That doesn't mean perfect people. It means you, followers of Jesus, to equip you to do ministry and mission. To equip you. That word equip means to repair and to rep- and prepare. To do both. The first time we see it is in the New Testament when we, uh, the first time in the New Testament we see it is when the, uh, the disciples of Jesus are fishing and it says that they are mending their nets, they're repairing their nets, they've gone out, now they come back in, they're fixing or repairing it, and that is the same word from where we get our word equip. They are equipping their nets, they are repairing them, they are preparing them. And so Paul comes to the church and says, listen, church, you are to equip the saints, our mission statement, equip believers, and you're to do so by repairing people and preparing people to do the work of ministry. Shepherds, pastors, teachers, it's not your job to do all of the work of ministry. Your primary focus is to equip people, to repair them, to prepare them to teach and to train and to invest and to lead and to guide. Remember the opening illustration? For people to come alongside and to guide that that bicycle as it goes around, to, to prepare that bicycle so that it's ready for use. Whatever it is, people are called to engage in the lives of people in order to do what, Paul? He says, here's the goal. So that the the body of Christ is built up. The body is strengthened until we all come to the unity of faith. I think that's very interesting. Paul here has been preaching unity to the local church at Ephesus. Verse 1 and following. He says, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called in all humility and all oneness together. And then he comes to this passage and he says, oh, you want to get to unity. Here's how you get to unity. Here's a a way. Here's a pathway for you. And that is to you leaders to have your people engage with one another so that they do the work of ministry. The body of Christ is made stronger. There's unity. And then notice this next phrase. Do you think Paul could be any more descriptive with what the measuring stick of equipping believers is? Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. So here's the measuring stick, all right? Here's the goal. The goal is that we are filled with Christ-likeness so that we reflect Christ so that 
We fulfill the mission of Jesus. The, 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 the end goal of the Ike and Bike folks when they came to Taylor's, when they came to Grace Church, when they came to the Greenville Y, when they came to these camps, they said, here's the end goal, that kids will be able to ride a bike when they've never been able to, ri- to ride before. Here, when Paul comes to the local church, he says, here's the end goal, pastor, shepherd, teacher, evangelist, prophets. Here's the end goal is to engage the people of God with one another, repair them, prepare them, equip them, put them into place, engage them with one another so that the measuring stick is Christ's likeness in every man, woman, boy, and girl who is underneath the authority of that local church. That's the goal. This past week, as I'm sitting there writing, as I'm sitting there thinking, as I read through this text again and again, over and over and over throughout the week, Here's the one thought. I have one goal. And that is to see you become like Jesus so that your life reflects his life. So that not only you know him, as Paul said, but that when you're measured, you are measured and what comes out is a reflection of who he is. That if you were to look at him there would be some, there'd be some resemblance of him. And so that the mission of Jesus can continue. Understand this. Don't stop with just, I want to look like Jesus. Because people who look like Jesus carry out the mission of Jesus. This is what equipping believers is. You ready? Here's what equipping believers is. It is where we move people to maturity in Christ in order to fulfill the mission of Christ. It's where we move men, women, boys, and girls to maturity in Christ, Ephesians chapter 4, in order to fulfill the mission of Christ, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. All right? So how do we do that? Let me give you three simple shifts in disciple-making. And I think here's what happens when it comes to discipleship, when it comes to equipping believers, when it comes to growing believers. Here's what happens. The word discipleship gets thrown around an awful lot. And instead of us thinking about disciple-making biblically, what has happened is we often fall prey into discipleship being lumped into a program or lumped into our church or lumped into what happens at our church on a weekly basis. And we, and we kind of, as one author said, we kind of throw all of discipleship into one big pot, into one big, into one big um, bowl, and we just kind of say everything is discipleship. But here's what he says. I love what Craig Etheridge, his pastor at First Baptist Church, Colleyville, wrote in his book, Bold Moves. He says this, We've grown accustomed to think of discipleship as a process undergirded by programs. Instead, disciple-making is a movement undergirded by the Holy Spirit through people. Discipleship is not a process per se. It is not a program per se. Disciple making is a movement of God through people in order to see people move to maturity in order to fulfill the mission of Jesus. So how does that take place? What are some shifts in our thinking when it comes to discipleship here at Taylor's? Let me give you three of them and then we'll be done this morning, all right? Number one shift, I just labeled this, teach a man to fish, all right? Should be in quotes there. Teach a man to fish. Have you ever heard the phrase, uh, give a man a fish and you feed him for how long? 
for a day, but you teach a man to fish and you feed him for a lifetime, all right? We have wonderful teachers here at Taylor's. I'm looking at them now, looking at you through the camera there in the contemporary service at nine o'clock, was able to eyeball those wonderfully gifted teachers who are there, all right? We celebrate what God does through teachers because it is a gift for the local body. But here is where we have to kind of look at Jesus a little bit and say, you know what? Just teaching for knowledge's sake isn't enough because Jesus said when he told his disciples to make disciples, he says, teach them to observe everything that I do. So you watch them as they watch me. And if they become like me, you're doing your job teaching. Paul came to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, a young pastor, and he says this, listen, young Timothy, I want you to take what I've entrusted to you and you teach it to faithful men who in turn are going to turn around and invest that in the lives of other people. So what we have here is teaching just not for knowledge, but teaching for transformation. And when it comes to this sub point, when it comes to this point of teaching a man to fish, here is my fear, all right, that we as a church and not just tailors, but evangelical culture in general, here's what has happened. We have had we have been spoiled with so much wonderful preaching and so much wonderful teaching. And you go walk into your classroom. Many of you just came out of, out of your life group at nine o'clock this morning. You can go home and you've got your iPods that you're, you've tuned in to various preachers. You can, you can um, read incredible materials in which you, you gain knowledge, all right? And, and here's the trap that we can fall into is that we are, are being spoon-fed by good teaching, but we're not, it's not translating into us being obedient followers of Jesus. I have a high chair in my dining room where both of my kids sat, and I loved to feed my, my kids in that chair. If you feel underneath, you could probably find some carrots or spinach that are probably still under there that never came out. You know how sticky that is, right? And I used to love to take a little spoon and, and just to pop it in their mouth because their cheeks would be so chubby. They'd be so cute. I'm probably embarrassed now. But, and, and you just pop it in their mouth. And I love how and they chew that thing. I love that. But if you were to come to our house today, you're not going to see me spoon feeding my ninth grader or my seventh grader. They know very much how to eat. <laughs> they can go after it, right? But here's what. Here's what happens if we're not careful when it comes to discipleship is that this book, which is the living, breathing, Hebrews chapter 4, word of Almighty God, is something that God has given to us as a gift. And we have been content for a long time for people just to give it to us and for us to leave. And we don't know how to study and apply and appropriate this book for ourselves. Because I can give you every sermon I've got, but it's no substitute. It's to be a supplement to, but it's no substitute for your personal encounter with the living God and you being able to open this book and to read it and to obey it and to give it to somebody else. If I were to take every Christian book and every Christian uh, media resource out of your house, would you be able to open this book and live and grow? And here's the heart of your pastor. 
that my job, Ephesians 4, the scriptures have been very clear. My job is every man, woman, boy, and girl complete in Christ. And you can't be complete in Christ apart from knowing and tasting this book for yourself. Let alone turning to your wife or turning to your husband, let alone turning to a son or turning to a daughter and saying, can I, can I show you? Can I disciple you in understanding the word of God? And this is what we want to see. This is the shift we want to take place. Now that we're doing away with life groups, we're not. But somehow, some way, for us to reach that maturity and that manhood, we have to find ways for the Word of God to be such a part of us individually. And can you imagine what happens individually when you come to your life group or when you come to that Bible study or when you come to that discipleship group, when you come into that family knowing and feeding on the Word of God yourself? Can you imagine the life change in you and in that group? It would be unbelievable. It's my heart for you, for all of us. Teach man to fish. Second, accountability. Somehow, some way, there has to be a shift where we move away from isolation to intimacy. I hear this a lot. I hear this a lot here at Taylor's. And I think it's the same any large church. I've been a part of largest, large churches ever since leaving seminary, and it's the same thing. Oh, there's a big worship gathering. There's a big life group or Sunday school class or other group. And even in my Bible study, there's eight to 10 to 12 people. But I'm still alone. I'm still isolated. Because look, we're good. We're good at moving in. We're good at moving out. We're good at, at, at making people think we're okay. The older we get, the better we get at that game. Somehow there has to be a shift from isolation to intimacy because, folks, we're losing individuals spiritually who are getting lost apart from the intimacy that we were made for. David Klein, our executive pastor, has a great quote that he's used often, and the quote is this. Our greatest need as individuals is to be known. That's how we're wired. We are wired in the image of God to be in relationship with God through Christ. That's what happens when he went to the cross and he died for your sins, was resurrected again, so that for some of you, you don't have a personal relationship with him and you're lost apart from him. You can know him intimately and relationally. That's the first step. But then we were wired even beyond that to be in community and in the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit, once he brings you into the, the body, once he saves you, he brings you into relationship. And it is there that we have a need to be known by other people, whether you want to admit it or not. And the reason that we are isolate ourselves is because for, for whatever reason, whether we're, we're embarrassed or, or there's sin in our lives or a personality, whatever it might be, there are any number of reasons that we isolate ourselves. But Ephesians chapter 4, your maturity, your spiritual growth in Christ is at stake with accountability. So here's the quote. Our greatest need is to be known, but our greatest fear is to be known. Some of you fear to be known. 
And here's where we have to make a shift. And that is whether in our life groups, whether in our discipleship groups, where you have those small numbers, wherever it might be, are we, how do we get to the place where there is accountability with one another? Now, that word accountable scares people. It means that you're gonna, someone's going to guilt trip me. Someone's going to beat me over the head with a Bible. I don't want that. I fear that. I understand that. But let me make a statement here. If there is no spiritual accountability, there is ultimately no spiritual growth to becoming like Jesus. You have to have it. This is why there's the body. This is why Jesus walked with his men. This is why Paul told Timothy, walk with your men. This was the method that Jesus used as he was intimate with his men. And and he calls us to that as well. And it's scary. I understand that to be accountable. It's scary to have that vulnerability. But without it, there's not any growth. I, I, I thought of this example this past week. Someone brought it to my attention. And that is when you are attempting to lose weight. I don't know about you. I just turned 47 and my metabolism at 47 is different than my metabolism at 27. I guarantee you that. Okay. And so I, when I get on the scale, I don't, I don't let anybody know about that. That's just me. Okay. If my wife's lucky, I'll tell her that's just me. And, and, and I don't know about you, but But when I follow people on social media, I'm not finding a whole lot of people who are who are tweeting out, who are Facebooking, who are Instagramming, who are Snapchatting. Hey, here's how I weighed in today. There's just not a whole lot of that. Although one of our deacons texted me in between the services at nine o'clock and he gave me an example. So, all right, pastors prove wrong right there. Some people do it. All right. Brave. I, I, I tweeted back. I said, that is that is big time accountability. Right. So so I call I texted one of our our dear folks here who is a coach for Weight Watchers. And I, I asked her, I said, what, just give me, give me a taste of what happens there. Does everyone, you know, do, when they come in, is it scary? I'm thinking it's got to be scary. And, and I love the care, even in her text, that she showed when she said, listen, at Weight Watchers, when they come in, there's accountability because they're coming in weekly. There's accountability because they're coming in regularly. But there's someone there, the coach, who is going to keep that private. And who's going to care for that individual? So there's, there's no public embarrassment. There's no public shame. Listen, accountability, I love that. Accountability is not embarrassing you or shaming you. Accountability is the gracious care of someone who loves you and is asking you and walking with you to take that next step in becoming like Jesus. Don't you want that? sitting across from a pastor this week. He just shared what God's doing in his heart, what God's doing in his life, even the yucky stuff. You know what that did for me? It caused me not to say, huh, resign your pulpit, you louse. (laughs) No. It caused me to say, brother, in my heart and in my mind, brother, Man, I love you more. Thank you. Thank you for reminding me that I need to share what is going on so that I can take that next step. Here's the last thing, and we're done this morning. That is multiplication. Multiplication. Whether in life groups, whether in small groups, whether in D groups, whether in Bible studies, Whatever you're in right now, 
however God leads us here at Taylor's First Baptist Church, here's the thinking that there has to be a way to see people invest in the lives of other people and multiply the spiritual growth and multiply the numerical growth. I know it's hard to multiply life groups. That's a difficult job to do. And these discipleship groups that we want to start in January built into these discipleship groups will be this. At the end of your time together, at the end of your 12 months together, you begin praying and you begin praying early about multiplying and finding other men and finding other ladies who aren't a part of that so that exponentially the word of God among you can multiply. We have our work cut out for us. How how do we make this shift? But we have to make the shift. You know why? Because this is the method that Jesus used when it came to his influence and his life and his teaching. He hands it to Peter and he hands it to James and John. And he says, I've taught you. I'm gone. You do it. And what if Peter and James and John raised their hand and said, you know what? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for for encouraging us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for being raised from the dead. And I know you've given us a job to multiply. You've given us a, a task here. But Jesus, we got it. We're good. Thank you. Thank you for the individual um, spirituality that we now enjoy with the Holy Spirit. And, and we, are, we got on the inside. But thank you, Jesus. We're done. And now, we, we don't say that. We, we, don't, we don't think that uh, in a purposeful way, but is, it, is that kind of what we have become accustomed to when it comes to discipleship? Hey, discipleship is about my individual religion, my individual spirituality, my maturity in Christ, and that's good. That's where we're headed, but you know what? That's not the Jesus way. The Jesus way is to produce in you himself so that you can produce in hurting, unchurched, churched and disconnected people so that you can turn around and say, I want what Jesus has done in me for you. And the beat goes on and on and on and on. I mean, aren't you glad that when Jesus came to his disciples and he said, make disciples and multiply my influence in the lives of other people, aren't you glad they took it seriously because the gospel has come to you and the gospel has come to me? So how will you respond this morning? Here's the wonderful thing. We we can come and we can hear about life groups. We can come and hear about discipleship groups. We can come and hear about Bible studies on Wednesday nights. But you know what? I was driving in uh, to to church this morning. I was driving in and I said, you know what? I'm thinking in kind of these bigger terms, but here's the beauty of these principles of a shift from information to transformation, of a shift from isolation to intimacy, from a shift from individual spirituality to investment in other people. Here's the wonderful thing. You don't have to wait for a plan to be unveiled for you to begin to see these shifts occur in your heart and in your mind and in your groups and in your lives and in your homes right now. And I pray that you will. Let's pray about that together right now. Father, you know how we long to see you work. We, we've sung about it in both rooms. At both hours, we've, we've sung about a shepherd leading us. We've, we've, we've sung about what it means to follow you 
We, we, we have worshiped and opened up our heart. I hope those just weren't words that we, we mouthed, but they were a commitment, a, a worship time to you. But now, Father, comes the time to respond obediently with our lives. And we pray that you would begin to work in people or they begin to long for and sense this is, this is God's Holy Spirit speaking to me about equipping others, about stepping forward in a way where we will lead and we will guide and we will nurture and we will, we will shepherd people and give our lives to people. And then Father, for some, they need to make themselves available. They're my heart hurts for the husband. My heart hurts for the wife who slides in and slides out. My heart hurts for the families that are disconnected to the body. Lord, would you stir in them and cause them to open up their lives to say, I want to be a part of this. Lord, for those who aren't followers of Christ, there are, are people in both rooms right now listening to this prayer. And will you speak to them about the gospel? Will you speak to them this morning about what it means to follow Christ? May they know that pastors are waiting for them at both, in both rooms to receive them. And it is our heart's cry to share that good news with anyone who will come and say, I don't know what that means, but I need Christ. Lord, would you, would you stir in them to have the courage to come down? So Lord, hear our prayer. As best as we can from the word, from our hearts, we have shared what it means to attain, to be measured fully in Christ. And so we look to him now in our need. And we pray to him now in Jesus' name.